I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, the third chapter, the verses that were just read for us in our Gospel reading as we celebrate this day, the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, to that end, would you uh, pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have given us yourself through your Son, Jesus Christ, who is the Word of Life, who is the light of the world. As we come now to you this hour, O Lord, would you draw near to us through your Spirit, that we might have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive all that you have for us. Conform us now into the image of your dear Son through his Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So for the next few weeks, we'll be celebrating the season of Epiphany, the light of God's glory, the revelation of God's glory radiating throughout the whole earth. Jesus is the light of the world that floods the nations with God's glory and with his hope. So this is a form of celebration, and that's why we remember his baptism every year. Every year we remember that the glory of God is manifest in the flesh. Jesus has come. But not only in the flesh, he has passed through the waters of judgment on our behalf that we might have life in him. He, the light by which all is seen and truly known, has come and has passed through the waters of baptism that we might hide ourselves in him. So we hold out every year this passage, or from other Gospels too, the same passage with Jesus being baptized. We hold it out as a reminder to us, imagery that Christ takes hold of us as children. He places his name on us, bought us with a price that now we belong to him. And I hope this passage reminds us, shows us this time and again. So we'll dive in. Luke chapter 3, verse 15. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We're going to be walking with Luke as he writes his gospel account of Jesus for the next handful of weeks through Easter. Now, as we dive into Luke's gospel, we're going to set the scene a little bit here. And Luke is reminding us that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the scriptures that have come before. John here was given as the final prophet who is pointing to Jesus, the Messiah. John comes as a kind of a new Moses, if you will. Where do we see that? Well, we see him in the wilderness as Moses with Israel was before. John is leading his people from a type of captivity and sin and an Egypt-like bondage, and he's leading them across the river into the wilderness for freedom. John is leading a kind of exodus, not from Egypt, but from the, the promised land now, because in the land there's corrupt religious leaders. There's defiled temple worship, and he's leading them to a promised rest, not in a place, but in a person. John is preparing the way for a new Joshua in the same way Moses prepared the way for Joshua. The Joshua comes to conquer, doesn't he? So we'll see John baptizes Joshua or Jesus who then crosses over the Jordan into the land as the true Joshua to win victory, conquering wickedness, evil, even death. So John echoes Moses in the same way that Jesus echoes Joshua. 
But we also hear echoes here of Elijah and Elisha. We've talked about them quite a bit over the last few months. John and Jesus echo these two. John is like an Elijah who was also despised and, and his life was threatened time and again, continually calling God's people to repentance. Elijah crossed over the Jordan, and one greater than Elijah was anointed with the Holy Spirit. So John, in the same way, crosses over the Jordan, and like uh, Elijah, uh, sees his successor come, who is anointed with a double portion of the Spirit, who is commissioned then to go into the land to cleanse and to conquer. Besides, as we read through Luke's gospel, we'll see a lot of the miracles that Jesus is doing echoes the miracles of both Elijah and Elisha. So we've got Moses and Joshua, we've got Elijah and Elisha, but Jesus' story also inhabits the exile in Israel's history. John inhabits Israel's story of the exile. As he quotes that passage, he quotes, it comes from Isaiah. Prepare the way for the Lord. And when Isaiah is saying that, he's writing to those who will be in exile, to those who will taste destruction, exile, who are they're being exhorted to faith and repentance and to hope that God who disciplines them through taking them from their land in exile, that same God will also restore them to newness of life. The exile is, in a sense, a passing through a judgment, a dying, in order to rise to newness of life. Jesus comes as that prophet like Isaiah, and John is pointing continually to him who will restore, who will renew, who will raise up God's people after an exile like death. So I just want to set the table a little bit as we re-enter into the gospel story here through Luke to remind us that Jesus doesn't just show up all of a sudden in a, in a vacuum. He shows up in space and time and in history. He comes as God's true son, the true and final Adam. As the psalm reminds us, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish. Jesus is coming as the true Joshua who's conquering sin, evil, death, and, and the devil. He comes as the true and final Elisha who comes to restore, to cleanse, be faithful in the land. And then we have here at the beginning of, of our passage People were in expectations. You see that? They're expecting something. They're expecting someone. And they're looking for God's anointed, the Christ. And they're wondering, this John is sure talking a lot. Is this, is this the Messiah? Remember verse 15? In expectation, questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. But what does John say in 16? I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. People were expecting God's glory to shine through his Messiah or his Christ. And the folks present there in, under John's ministry are wondering, is, is this the one? This wild-eyed prophet who has come, is he God's anointed one? And John boldly declares, nope, not I. But one is coming after me. I am but a candle before the full fury of the sun. A mightier one than I is come, glorious in splendor and holiness. Look to his light, but be warned. In looking, you may be slain in the fullness of his glory. John comes baptizing with water, calling for repentance, to turn from sin and rebellion in order to covenant fidelity, faithfulness to the God 
who calls, who cleanses. His successor, however, will baptize with spirit and fire. And John's next lines, after he says that the mightier one will come with spirit and fire and baptizing them, the next word is a word of, of warning. And John doesn't really mince words, does he? Look at verse 17. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff, he will burn with unquenchable fire. God's prophets, or God's people, excuse me, God's people have been rejecting God's way. So God's word, who is John, the baptizer, has to depart the land. As God does when the land becomes uh, defiled, God exiles the land, and his word departs the land and enters into the wilderness, and John is calling others to follow him into the wilderness. The location of John's ministry where it's taking place is a stark warning that not all is well. Before access is granted into God's presence, we must repent in a wilderness. We must pass through waters of judgment. As God's people rise from water, dripping with glory that throws off reflected glimmers of glory, God's people arise from this cleansing water, naked, to be inspected by God's holy eye. Now, this baptism, these, these, this washing that John is holding forth to the people, it's not new to those of the day, to those faithful Jews. They had ceremonial washings throughout their history. God commanding time and again in order to enter his presence, there must be ritual, ritual uh, washings to purify, to enter his presence. But again, John is warning, there's a mighty one coming as a judge, and he is going to baptize, no, just with water, but with the fire and with the spirit. John has already warned, if you look down in chapter 3, verse 9, John had said, even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into, into the fire. And here he says, the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire in verse 17. God's fire is a fire of condemnation, and it will fall upon barren trees, religious hypocrites consuming as rotten trees thrown onto a fire. So what then is the hope, right? If this is the case, if the, the rotten trees are thrown onto the fire, what is the hope to escape God's wrath? We must come to the one who baptizes with spirit and with fire. For the fire of God will consume the wicked, but it will instead purify also the humble, the righteous, those who seek the one who is baptizing with spirit and fire. See, the, the, the fire which John talks about in, John's, in Jesus' baptism is a fire of judgment to condemn or to vindicate. Think of Elijah of old when he called down fire upon God's enemies. Think of the fire consuming Sodom and Gomorrah. Think of the angels with the flaming swords guarding, keeping out wickedness from the garden. God's fire will defeat, will consume the wicked. But his fire will refine and vindicate his righteous, the refiner's fire. The mighty one comes with fire, but he also comes in the spirit to baptize with the spirit. The spirit who hovers over void in order to create according to God's word. Jesus is anointed 
by the Spirit, who is the anointing oil, who then commissions into kingdom service. Think of Samson. Think of King David. The Spirit is rushing upon them to commission them to serve their king in the kingdom. The Spirit searches. The Spirit knows. Who can hide from God's presence according to the Spirit? God's Spirit comes to cleanse, to call, to refine. He comes to make things new. God's Spirit fire in His Son does just that. The Spirit fire refines, purifies, exalts the righteous, destroys the wicked. So there's warnings here by by John, the prophet here, but, but a hope isn't in fleeing from that fiery spirit. The hope is rather to come to the one who has the fire spirit, to hide ourselves in the one who baptizes with fire and spirit, to hide ourselves in God through Christ's baptism. Verse 18. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people, but Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them. He locked up John in prison. John was baptizing in water, and he's saying that this, when, the, when the one comes who's mightier than him and baptizing in, in spirit and fire, that's gospel. That's good news. That's what John is doing in verse 18. He's, he's preaching the good news. Now, verse 17 doesn't exactly sound like good news, the whole thing about being thrown in the fire and consumed. It doesn't sound real good. Luke says it's good news. Paul, as he writes in the passage that was read for us earlier, he declares that in baptism we are baptized into Christ's death. Well, that doesn't sound very good either. But here, what does it go on to say? Well, the New Testament images the baptism as a kind of dying and rising again. We baptize into his death that we might rise in newness of life in him. Imagery for baptism throughout the New Testament takes up the images of, of the flood, of, of Israel crossing the Red Sea. And in these images, there, there's a, a flooding, there is a, a, an overcoming, an overwhelming, there is a kind of death, but there is also then a raising up a kind of vindication. That's the imagery that baptism is in the New Testament. God's enemies are thwarted and his people are saved. Hence the word from John on the shores of the Jordan's wilderness waters is this. One is coming mightier than I who is the good news. Come to him. See, Hebrews tells us that it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. Baptismal imagery is that of passing through the waters of God's judgment of his wrath. Therefore, all who are in Christ, who are washed in the waters of his baptism, do not fear, because we pass through those waters in him. And we must understand, too, that that when there's baptism, it means that there is a solidarity, there is a familiarity, there is an identifying with the one whom we're being baptized in, too. There is a solidarity with Jesus in being baptized in his fire and spirit, And that brings difficulty. Verse 19, Herod the Tetrarch reproved John, or was reproved by John, his brother's wife, uh, for all the evil things that Herod had done. And then he added this, he locked up John in prison. Baptism identifies us with one whom the world despises. John knew the risks. John counted the cost. And he came as a new Elijah in his prophetic work, and he was threatened by death 
time and again. And as he crosses the Jordan River into the wilderness, God's fire came down on Elijah, but not to consume Elijah in wrath, but to raise up in vindication and acceptance. And so it is with John the Baptist, right? The, John the baptizer is, is witnessing the Spirit descend upon the one whom he will baptize, but not as a, a consuming, not as a, not as a consuming fire, but as a refining fire, one to take them up. So how do we, we in, in baptizing, being baptized into Jesus, we're being baptized into his name, into his, we're identifying with one whom the world is growing increasingly hostile toward. So how do we persevere in a society where uh, there's growing hostility toward Christ and his people? And that's why I want this passage to be held forth before us today. Because we remember in this imagery of Jesus' baptism, there's promises shown forth in it. And the promises are like this, that our lives are now hidden with God in Christ. That he who was rejected, despised, he who was crucified, well, he has gone before us through these waters of judgment, and he is raised up victorious without fear. I mean, no one likes to be despised and hated, but comfort being liked cannot be our chief aim. Fidelity to Christ is our aim because he goes before to conquer in an atmosphere, in a society in which Christ and his people are increasingly shown hostility. It is vital that we continue to hold fast our Lord, to remain faithful in service during all seasons. Jesus passes through the baptismal waters, is given the Spirit, and he goes forth to conquer. That's who we are identified with in our baptisms. We identify with him. We are hidden with him in God. We are more than conquerors. So when we do baptisms here at, at Trinity, I want you to picture the baptismal font as a, a, the River Jordan. Picture, imagine just the roof of the church being lifted or torn away, and we, God's people, are standing on Jordan's stormy banks where we call upon the name of our triune God who is present in word and sacraments. And as words are spoken and water poured over the child of God, the child of God passes through the waters and raised up onto dry land. Condemnation was poured out on Christ and not that person. But rather, that, that beloved child of God is now given blessing and raised up in newness of life. Spirit and fire of Jesus' baptism refine, renew, cleanse, confirm. These are the promises given to those who are in Christ, those who are baptized in his waters. In short, it's Jesus looking at this person under the waters, passing through the waters of judgment, saying, this one is mine. This one belongs to me. They have been bought with the price, and I will never let them go. Christ has gone before as the one who is victorious over death, the devil, evil, and sin. But remember, in his early life, he was victorious when he was hanging on the cross. Passing through the waters of baptism assures us that solidarity with him means that we too will pass through life of suffering, of sorrow, and even death. But it also reminds us that that death that we are baptized into is followed by a glorious resurrection. So all who are baptized into Christ have assurance in Him. 
all who are baptized must continue to walk in the light of his glory, in light of those promised realities. Otherwise, they cross back over the Jordan, which is to pursue the way of death. We must continue to walk in the realities of Jesus and his fire spirit baptism. John chose the death that, that followed from allegiance to Christ, and he was rewarded with everlasting life. Verse 21 goes on to say this. Now, when all the people were baptized, when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. This is the revelation of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. We see in this passage when, John, when Jesus is baptized that the triune God converges on Jordan's stormy banks. The Father is pronouncing pleasure in his anointed king, saying, this is my beloved son. And the Spirit sent down in, in, in bodily form like a dove anoints King Jesus, the Son of God, as the great high priest in service to, G, to the world, sent out in his prophetic word. So as we identify with Jesus in baptism, it's a reminder that he is our prophet, priest, king. These truths are shown forth and applied to us as we pass through the waters of baptism, that in Christ we are sons and daughters of the living God, of the living King, who is now ascended to seat at the right hand of the Father upon the throne of God. God looks upon us now through His Son. So in all of our doubts, in all of our failures, in all of our rebellions, God looks upon us still as his own child, because we are hidden in his own son. So that the words that Jesus receives at his baptism, we receive as well. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. So that in Christ we are also anointed in the spirit for priestly service. We are indeed a royal priesthood. We are priests given for the life of the world. We are living sacrifices consumed in the holiness of God's fire to be received into his presence, holy and acceptable in his sight. And we are then given back to the world to intercede for the world that we might then point and give the living water who quenches eternal thirst. We then point the way to the one who is the bread of life. And we are then commissioned also, not only as children of the king, not only as a priesthood of all believers here, but we are also commissioned as prophets. In the same way that Jesus begins his ministry following his baptism, so we too are sent as God's word into the world. Life and lips proclaiming Jesus' light and Jesus' glory. So as we picture baptism, as we picture crossing the waters of God's judgment, we are to draw strength and encouragement in Christ all of our days. We do not presume upon those moments of baptism. No, we keep in step with the Spirit. We abide in Christ. We present our bodies as living sacrifices moment by moment, day by day. But our hope and our only trust is this, that he who called us by name, who places his name upon us, that he will hold us fast. 
And therefore, this passage cries out to us, do not fear, or if that's not so helpful, maybe this way, in your fear, remember this, you are hidden in God, it's Jesus Christ, who covers you. The words of the prophet Isaiah ring loud. They say, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. We do not fear in a society that is increasingly at odds with our king and with his people. Rather, we live in freedom, the freedom that Christ has won for us. See, shame is now silenced forever. Guilt is atoned for forever. Forgiveness is secured in Christ, and we are baptized into him and into his forgiveness. As Paul says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live in him. That's the image that Paul gives us, the New Testament gives us, of baptism. We die with Christ in order to rise in newness of life in him. And it's, it's more than just about us individually in this corporate body here. Baptism reminds us, the baptism of Jesus reminds us this, that we are to trust He's making all things right. As the heavens were torn open at Jesus' baptism, when heaven converges with earth in Jesus at his baptism, so in Christ, heaven and earth converge so that no matter the trial, no matter our failure, no matter the threat, no matter the, the suffering, one day our king will return and we will all see the king face to face. Our king who has passed through the waters of God's judgment and wrath. Who has undergone the fire of death and he lives forevermore. That king will descend to look upon his children. Look them straight in the eye. Look us straight in the eye. And he will have this to say. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. With whom I am well pleased. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your master's rest. Amen. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have given us Jesus and that he has undergone baptism, which he need not, but we do. On our behalf, he has undergone these waters of judgment. We we hide ourselves in him now. With him, we pass through the waters of judgment that we might rise in newness of life in him. Would you grant us confidence from these truths, these promises, and these realities, that we might serve you without fear, boldly, courageously, all of our days. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.